We uh, continue in our study in the book of Ephesians, and I've shared with you all through this book, through the last years we've looked at this book, that uh, I believe if we only had one letter, besides the gospel, if we only had one letter in the New Testament to share everything that we need to know about what it means to be a Christian and how we're called to live, the book of Ephesians would do that. It is the most powerful book, in my opinion, uh, of all the letters that we have in the second half of the New Testament. Uh, if we could ever grasp, and that's why we've taken a year. People have said, well, you know, we're still going through Ephesians and we're almost to the end. And uh, if, if we could ever grasp the truth that, are, that is in Ephesians, it would revolutionize the church, it would change our lives, and it would change our culture if somebody would just grasp it. And so my prayer is that you have caught just a glimpse, I, I just hope just a glimpse, just a hunger for the taste of all that God's teaching. And the great part about Ephesians is, as he comes to the end of the letter, Paul doesn't tail off. He doesn't uh, just all of a sudden go to a salutation. He ends with some of the most powerful teaching and the most relevant teaching of the whole book. He recognized that the people in Ephesus were struggling, and so he ends with probably two of the most relevant issues that we face and that they faced. Uh, he ended chapter 5, started chapter 6 talking about relationships. He talked about husbands and wives and, and children and their parents. He knows that we have got to have healthy relationships, interpersonal relationships, if we are going to live for Christ, and that he also knows that one of the places that the enemy will attack is in our home. And so he comes in chapter 6 here, and what is considered his best teaching, or his most important teaching in chapter 6, is this metaphor for the armor of God. He understands that if we as Christians are going to read this book, this letter, and take to heart chapters 1, 2, and 3 about who we really are in Christ, grasping the truth that we are now children of God, adopted into the family, joint heirs with Christ, and that we have been given every spiritual blessing that's available in the heavens. If we can grasp that, if we can start living that, if we can start walking that out in our homes and in our marriages and in our churches, he knows we are going to come under attack. Because you see, you're not going to be attacked as long as you continue to live less than what God has redeemed you for. You're not going to come under attack if all religion is is, is just a ritual and just coming to church and going through the motions. You don't have to worry about it. The moment you start believing God's word for your own, the moment you start internalizing, the moment you start allowing it to become a part of you, you come under attack. So Paul wanted to warn us. And there he is in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's been under house arrest and standing at his door as a Roman soldier. And as he looks at this Roman soldier, he begins to imagine how the truths that guard us and protect us are much like the Roman soldier's armor. And he begins to write and say these are the integral spiritual truths that you and I need to grab a hold of if we are going to withstand the attacks that we're going to face. See, the Bible never promises us a bed of roses. It never promises us that God is going to remove problems from our life. He promises us that we will have the power to overcome those things. We're going to face trials. Everyone in this room, simply because we live in a sinful, fallen world, we're going to face difficulties. We'll face disease. We face death, we face pain, we face sorrow. But because we name the name Jesus Christ, we're also going to face more difficulties, more trials, more persecution. So Paul is sitting there in his prison. He looks up at this soldier. He says, what's the most important part of the armor that this soldier has? He said, it's the belt. And so Paul says, you as a Christian believer, if you want to stand, and, and he tells us in chapter 6, verse 13, that our goal, five times he says it in 13 and 14, is not to charge hell. 
It's not your goal. It's not your job as a Christian. It's not to go out looking for demons. It's not to go out and and attack Satan. Your job is to withstand whatever the world throws at you, and when all else is done, to be standing for the cause of Christ. And so the weapons that he gives us are all defensive. And he says the most important thing you need to do is a belt of truth. Wrap truth around you. What is the truth? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What is our principal foundational truth? It is that Jesus Christ is who he says he was. He did what he said he was going to do. And he reigns today resurrected in heaven. See, that truth holds everything else together, but there's even more truth. He said the truth that he's been teaching us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that is the truth that's going to get you through difficulties. When the devil comes and says, you're not good enough, and you're not smart enough, and you're not fast enough, and you're not special in any way, the truth of understanding that you are fearfully and wonderfully made before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan for your life. And in redemption, Jesus Christ gave you everything, forgiveness and grace and mercy. And now the power of the cross resides in you in the Holy Spirit. See, that truth holds you together. It allows you to stand no matter what the world throws at you. And he looked at the breastplate. He said, there's that breastplate. It's like righteousness. See, righteousness, who we are in Christ and all that we've been given and the ability we now have to live a holy life, that protects our heart, that protects our emotions, that protects our personalities. And he said he's got shoes on, and shoes are very important to the Roman soldier. He said those shoes are like the gospel of the good news of peace. What does that mean? It means that if we can grasp the good news of Jesus Christ, it will bring a peace that passes understanding. So one of the greatest struggles that many Christians have is when the world starts to shake, when your world starts to crumble, when things don't go the way you want, all of a sudden you get discouraged, and all of a sudden you get disillusioned, and all of a sudden that peace that you thought you had disappears. He says, what gives you peace in those times? It's standing on the promises of Jesus Christ. The peace that isn't based on circumstances and situations, the peace that comes from knowing that I am a child of the King. He said, all of those that you have, he said, but on that day of evil, when when evil really comes, you need to be ready to pick up the shield of faith. So you got a belt, you got a breastplate, you got shoes. But he said, that shield of faith, what does faith do? Faith, when acted in obedience, always empowers us to follow God. He said, when the arrows are coming, you hold up that shield of faith and you stand in faith. He said, then get that helmet of salvation. What does salvation do? It reminds us that God's not finished with us. He started at the cross. He continues today. And one day, you and I have a future secured with Him. And that holds us together no matter what the devil throws at us. He says all of those weapons are important. And we learned last week that, that then He also gives us the one weapon that can be used offensively and defensively, and it's the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. He compares it to a sword, which means it's sharp. Paul tells Timothy that sharper than ever, even two-edged sword can drive the enemy away. But it's also supple enough that it can pierce our hearts and divide and separate that which needs to stay from that which needs to go. And you read all of that and you get so wrapped up into that. And then he comes to verse 18 and so many times verse 18 seems like an afterthought. Seems like an addition. Just listen to it in context. 
Starting in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, that gets Christians excited. We love talking about the armor. I know Christians that go through a whole ritual of putting on the armor and, and talking about what it means. I've told you before, if you, if you don't understand the truths behind the metaphor, you're missing out. The truths here is not a breastplate and a helmet and shoes. The truth, it, the, the true thing that God wants you to understand is the truth and righteousness and peace and salvation and the power of the word and faith. Then he comes to verse 18, he says this, and... Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now sometimes it's easy to look at that and think it's an afterthought. Paul's saying, listen, get on this armor and get excited and be willing to stand and dig in. And, and oh yeah, don't forget to pray. And sometimes that's the way we are as Christians. We want to get into all this other stuff and say, oh yeah, I know, I know, Pastor, I need to pray more. I know prayer is more important. But you see, prayer in this context is not an afterthought. It's an exclamation point. Because you see, what Paul wants to get across to you and I is that without prayer, all of the other stuff is useless. Because you see, prayer is what empowers all of the other elements that come with the armor of God. If all you have is the armor and there is no prayer there through the power of the Holy Spirit to empower it, it's like getting dressed up with no place to go. It's like putting on a football uniform and your shoulder pads and your helmet and your, your hip guards and your pants and your cleats, but they're not being a game. See, those things are great, but they don't mean anything if they're not used. And all of the armor of God that God has given us, that He has blessed us with, unless you're praying, you are not empowering that armor. Because you see, prayer is not an afterthought. Prayer is all through the armor of God. Because prayer is what empowers truth. Prayer is what reveals truth. Prayer is what gives you the strength to stand on truth. Prayer is what gives you the ability to understand righteousness. To know that your righteousness does not depend on your acts, but it depends on Christ alone. Because He is righteous, I am now counted righteous. Prayer is what gives me the ability to live practical holiness, to be more like Jesus Christ. Prayer is what helps me understand how peace can come in the midst of storms. Prayer is what helps me to understand how faith means me acting out on God, hearing from God, and following His footsteps. Prayer is what allows me to recognize how precious salvation is, not something to be taken for granted. See, what Paul wants to emphasize here at the end of this teaching is how important prayer is to you and I. See, for so many Christians, prayer is one of the greatest weapons we have that is used the least in all of our lives. We don't understand it because it sounds so simple. And something that sounds so simple sometimes gets overlooked. And what happens in Christians' lives is we end up praying really two types of prayers. For most Christians, prayer becomes a last resort. Do everything else, and then when things don't work out the way we want, or the way we planned, or the way we tried, then we say, well, I guess I need to pray. See, prayer is not a last resort, Paul's saying. Prayer is a first resort, and a second resort, and all throughout everything that we do. And other Christians, their whole prayer life is based on asking God for things for them. 
God, please give me this. God, please do this in my life. God, please do this. And if that is all prayer is to you, then you're missing out on the greatest gift that God's given us, the greatest element that we have, especially when it comes to spiritual warfare. See, what Paul is saying is that we have got to make prayer a priority if you and I want to see God move through our lives. We talked a couple of weeks ago <coughs> excuse me, about, about faith, and I told you if we could ever grasp what God's truth says. Uh, you know, Jesus was not using a metaphor when he said, if my people would pray for a mountain to move with a grain, a mustard seed grain of faith, then that mountain would move. See, he wasn't saying it'd be neat as that happened. He is saying that if we had that amount of faith in his truth and his word and who we are in Jesus Christ, mountains would begin to move. You know how those mountains move? They move by prayer. When we begin to pray standing on faith, that initiates God's movement. And God begins to intercede and God's power begins to get released. See, prayer is your accessing your relationship to God, not to beg for stuff for you. It's accessing your relationship to God, your intimacy with God, so that you might become more like Him. And becoming more like Him, His power is released as you pray. I love Ian Bounds, who was a wonderful teacher on prayer, said this about what prayer means to the believer. He says, prayer is the great universal force to advance God's cause. Not to pray is a denial of God, a denial of His existence, a denial of His nature, and a denial of His purpose towards mankind. Praying people are the only people in which the Holy Spirit dwells. For the Holy Spirit and prayer go hand in hand. We talked about, you know, back in Ephesians 5, verse 18, when he says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that feeling is not you getting something extra. It's not getting something new. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to get something extra in you. It's allowing Him to have every area of your life. Prayer is what allows that to happen. Prayer is what convicts you to allow that to happen. It says, the Holy Spirit never descends upon or empowers prayerless people. Prayer is the air that enlivens the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, prayer is where you come to recognize that you are facing something, no matter what it is in your life, that you cannot deal with and you need God. Because if you go back to read where this all started back in Ephesians 6.10, what does he say the power source is for us being able to stand? God in His mighty power. See, prayer is the way we access His mighty power. It's the way we tap in. You facing a mountain this morning? You facing a difficult situation? Maybe everything's good. How's your prayer life? Most of us would say it's not up to where it needs to be. Most of us would say, you know, I'm trying, Pastor, but it's not where I want it to be. Some of us would say it's just downright disturbing. We're not doing what we need to do. Well, the good news is Paul just doesn't tell us prayer is important. He tells us how to pray here. Many people call this passage the four alls of prayer because he says all four times in it. But what I want you to focus on is for spiritual warfare, this is telling us how you and I can have the ability to stand. And listen to me. I know for some of you it may not mean a whole lot, but there are those, especially those of you that are 30 and under, 40 and under, I believe there is coming a day in America where making a stand for the cause of Christ will cost you more than getting made fun of on Facebook. And it will cost you more than losing a friend here or there. If revival doesn't break out in America, if we don't see a great awakening, and I'm praying that that happens, 
I am burdened for that to happen. But if we don't see it, there is coming a day in our culture when it will be very similar to what the people in Ephesus faced, where to be a Christian meant you were persecuted. Simply stating the truth of the Word of God could cost you your job, could cost you your home, could cost you your livelihood. How are you going to withstand that? How are you going to be able to stand up and not compromise? Paul gives us the prayer. How do we do that? Well, he says four simple things, and I'll go through them real quickly. They're real easy, matter of fact, just to call your attention to. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, praying in the Spirit means that we just pray according to what the Holy Spirit leads us, to be Spirit-led. See, as the Spirit prompts us and the Spirit begins to lead us, He will focus on how we're to pray. The problem is most of us have tuned out the Holy Spirit for so long, we don't hear Him anymore. People say, Pastor, I don't know, God's not talking to me. No, God is talking to you. He never stopped talking to you. You just stopped listening. How many of you ever had a cricket get in your house? Amen? Man, I hate it. Have you ever wanted to kill anything more than a cricket in your house at 2 o'clock in the morning? I mean, it's all you hear, isn't it? I mean, it drives you stinking crazy. One of the greatest jokes we used to play in East Texas uh, during the fall, crickets were everywhere. It was just crazy. And in, in my college, one of the jokes we would play is we'd go out one of the big lights in the field, and the crickets would be everywhere, and we'd get a box of them. And we'd just scoop them up. And we'd fill a box up, and we'd sneak into one of our friend's dorm rooms, and all the dorm furniture was fixed. It means it, it didn't come off the wall. There were gaps between the bed and gaps. And we would take those crickets, and we'd just shuffle them all over the room. And I promise you, three hours later, you could hear that room and those crickets from a mile away. And could you imagine trying to sleep? And I mean, you would open the door and it's crazy. And they would get them and blow them out. And they got an air compressor and they were blowing crickets out of the room and trying. And there, there was always one or two. And, they, and if you walked in there, you would hear it. But after a while, those two guys got to where they could sleep through it. Because they'd gotten accustomed to it. They could, you know, you go in there, man, those crickets are crickets. I don't hear it. What cricket? We do the same thing to the Holy Spirit. God is telling us to do something. He's encouraging us. Listen, pray for this person. Love this person. Help this person. And we're listening, but we're not obeying. And over time, we stop hearing. He hasn't stopped talking. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. He said, let the Holy Spirit lead you and listen for His voice. And when He tells you how to pray, you begin to pray. But while He's doing that, you need to pray on all occasions. And what does that all occasion mean? The word there for occasion means any opportunity. So what Paul is saying is you and I are called to pray all the time. Now that's not something new for Paul. He says at least six times, Philippians 4, pray in everything. Let your requests be known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourself in prayer to everything. So he's saying pray at home, yes. Pray at school, yes. Pray at work, yes. Pray in the car, yes. Pray, 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 pray. Pray without ceasing. Now people say, Pastor, how is that practical? Because you see, when we think of prayer, what do we think of? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. How can I pray driving with my head bowed, my eyes closed? That's not what he's talking about. You see, you pray without ceasing by becoming conscious of the Holy Spirit in your life and everything that you do. I call it being God conscious. 
Praying without ceasing is recognizing that God is moving and working everywhere around you. And it is becoming aware of that. It is so aware that God is moving and seeing things through God's eyes that prayer just naturally flows out of you. You see somebody hurting. I don't care if it's at the grocery store. You see a kid crying, and the first reaction you have is not somebody take care of that little kid or where's that kid's mom, and I can't believe... The first reaction you have is, Lord, bless that little child. Hold them close. Protect them. You see somebody hurting. You become so conscious of God's heart. You see somebody in need and your first reaction is to pray for them, for God to meet that need or how you can help meet that need. Because you see, you are tapped into where God is and prayer just flows out of that. I used to have parents in my student ministry that would help raise their kids to be more God conscious. And when they would drive down the highway, and I used to think, I, I don't know I could ever get my kids to do that, but it was so cool when they would drive down the highway. Their kids, instead of picking out signs or, you know, Volkswagens or whatever, you know, license plates, their kids had to pick out things that they see that are blessings from God and had to name them. There's a mountain. God let that mountain come into our view so that we could see how majestic He is. They also, every time they had an ambulance, they would stop and pray. For whoever it was going by in that ambulance, whoever it was in their family, you say, that's just a little deal. No, but don't you understand what that does is that trains them to be God conscious. Not to be me conscious, not to say my prayers are all revolved around me and my little world and what's going on with me, but to be God conscious of the world around me. Because you see, once I begin to see other people's needs and begin to hear other people's hurts, all of a sudden I can't stop praying. Because I recognize that the only way I can help them is through prayer. And we begin to pray at all times. The Message Bible puts it great. Romans 12, 1 that I quote a lot to you. Offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing under God, for that is our spiritual act of service. It's our worship. The Message Bible puts it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before Him as an offering. That's what it means to be God conscious. I'm going to listen. I'm going to see. I'm going to sense. Every waking moment of my life, I'm either praising God for a blessing or interceding for someone else that has a need. See, when you walk that way, you don't have to say, God, come into your presence because you never leave his presence. You're always there. Paul said, pray all the time. But then the second thing he says there is with all kinds of prayer and request. Paul is saying that for spiritual warfare, not only do we need to be centered with the Holy Spirit and praying all the time, God conscious, is we need to offer up all kinds of prayers. Now, most of us in this room can only think of one or two kind of prayers, right? We pray before we eat, we pray before we go to bed, and we pray in church, right? And those just become kind of ritualistic because we get stuck in a pattern. I told you before, you know, I, I remember the first time when I surrendered to ministry and they licensed me and ordained me in my church and I was a high school senior getting ready to go into college and I remember going to Thanksgiving and uh, the one thing about being a minister is anything that you go to where they're going to eat, they always ask you to pray. Always. They oh, I don't care what's going on. Let's, let's get the preacher to pray. And so, so you've got to be ready. Always, I'm going to have to pray here. And I remember going to that first Thanksgiving. We had a big family Thanksgiving and my grandfather always prayed. And he always prayed the same, dear Lord, right? you got to use the grandfather voice. Thank you for this bountiful blessings that we are about to partake. Bless it to our nourishment. 
God, it might not, you know, all these big words. And, and so I'm sitting there, and we're waiting for Paul Paul to pray. And they look down, and they say, listen, we got a new pastor. Rusty, why don't you pray? And I thought, I will pray, what? So I started using my grandpa prayer, right? Dear Father. Because <laughs> that was a Thanksgiving prayer. Because, you see, we get so wrapped up into one kind of prayer. And that's why we, you know, sometimes if you notice, uh, we say the same thing. Heavenly Father, our Father. Dear Lord, God, we say, because we get caught in the ritual. There's nothing wrong with those things, but he is saying, listen, break out and pray all kinds of prayers because you've got all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of situations. He said, pray screaming prayers and pray silent prayers. Pray prayers on your knees and prayers on your feet, prayers on your face, prayers when you're angry, prayers when you're happy, prayers when you don't know what to say. Groaning prayers is what Romans says. Pray all kinds of prayers. Because you see, if all you ever do is pray to thank God for your food or to ask Him for something when you're in trouble, you're missing out on all the other blessings that come from being able to pray. Thank you, Lord, and, and worship Him for all that He's blessed us with when you see His hand in nature. You miss out on the joy for being able to pray for somebody else and seeing God answer their prayer. He said, offer all kinds of prayers and requests. And the thing about offering prayer is the only wrong prayer is no prayer. People say, but Pastor, you don't know I'm really shallow in my prayers and, and I don't really know all the right words. There are no right words. It's your heart. And the only way you can become deeper in your prayer life is to pray. The only way you can become deeper is to get to know the Father better and pour out your heart. See, we're not here to say, well, that prayer was too short, that prayer was too long, that prayer didn't have the right words, you didn't close, we didn't bow our heads. We didn't. No, listen, we pray, pouring out our hearts before God, all kinds of prayer and requests. But not just that. He said, these are the times that you pray. This is how you pray. Then he comes to this part, says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. So he tells us the when, he tells us the how, and now he tells us the what. What are we supposed to pray? Always. With alertness. Why would he say alertness? See, I can get to always. The Bible says that we need to pray with perseverance. Don't give up. And, and listen to me. I wonder how many of us have prayed for things and giving up just this short of our breakthrough. Don't give up. I, I knew a, a lady in one of my churches that she had a prodigal son that he was 70 years old, she was in her 90s, and she was on her face every day before God that her son would come home to the Father, that he would come back. And I used to think, why? You know, you spent 50 years praying for that prodigal. Because he said, because I believe that one day he's coming home. And I have to tell you that at his mother's funeral, that lady that prayed every day for her son, her son returned to the Father rededicated his life to Christ right there at a funeral pray God come into my heart and I thought she didn't give up he said don't give up but also be alert why would we need to be alert because if we're going to pray for other people with all kinds of prayers then it helps to know what we need to pray for see it's easy to pray general prayers it's easy to pray Lord bless them right how do you know if God ever blesses somebody you don't Lord, make them healthy. Lord, give them health. Lord, protect them. He's, he's saying, listen, why not be aware of what's going on in someone's life enough 
to pray specifically for them. How do you pray for your spouse? How do you pray for your kids? Do you pray specifically? Lord, help them get this job at this place. Lord, help them pass this test. Lord, help them have a good day today. That's an okay prayer. But why not say, Lord, I pray that you would give them understanding and knowledge to stand at school this this day. God, they're going to face difficulties. They're going to face peer pressure. Give them the ability to withstand that and let them have retention of everything that they've studied so it all comes easily to them. Don't let them be stressed out. And all of a sudden, you begin to pray specifically for your kids. And what you thought, I don't have anything really to pray for, becomes an hour. And then at the end of the day, when your child walks in, you don't have to ask, how was your day? You can ask, how was that test? And they say, I passed it. You say, praise the Lord, because God blessed you. He says, know what people are praying. See, it's real easy when there's a disaster. Everybody comes and wants to pray. Where are the people willing to pray with sensitivity before the disaster happens? He says, pray all kinds of prayers. Always keep on praying. And this last thing is what's most important, and I'm going to close with this. He tells us how, he tells us why, and he tells us when. But who are we supposed to pray for? He says, pray always, all kinds of prayers. Perseverance, never giving up. Who are we to pray for? For all the saints. Now, if you've been with us since last November, you remember that little word there, saints. It's the same word he used in chapter 1. Who are the saints? Who are the saints? Say, I am. You believe it? Amen? I am. That's not an accident. It's not a misprint. Doesn't matter what your spouse says. God says you are a saint. And Paul is now saying that our job when it comes to spiritual warfare is to pray for each other. Now, if you can grasp this for just a minute, this is Paul again telling us how we are connected in the body of Christ. You see, this is us understanding that no matter what we face, no matter what we're going through, no matter how lonely it is when that day of evil comes, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that there are reinforcements. We know we've got air cover. Because there are a church praying for you. Not just praying for a name, they are praying specifically for victory and for God's glory and for God's blessings. Anyone that's ever walked that path can tell you how much difference prayer makes. If you've ever been there when that day of evil comes and you just didn't know what to do and you knew people were praying for you, you, can, you can't explain it, but you felt it. You knew it. You knew you were not alone. See, what Paul is saying is the greatest weapon you and I have is knowing that the people around us are praying for us. And they're not just praying for you on Sunday. They're not just praying for you here and there. They're praying for you all the time, all kinds of prayers without giving up. Who can't go and face whatever the world has thrown at them knowing that not only is God behind them, but there is a prayer-powered church standing behind them, lifting them up. See, I want you to understand, whatever you're going to face this week, there are people praying for you. The greatest privilege I have as a pastor is not preaching. I love preaching. It's not baptizing. It's not doing baby dedication. It's not even leading people to the Lord. You know, the greatest privilege I have as a pastor is every morning I take our prayer list that we have, and I go down, and then I take our, our, our list of all the church members, and I begin to pray for you and pray for your family and pray for your kids. And I count that as the most important thing I do in the week. 
When you tell somebody, I'm praying for you, don't just say it, mean it, because they depend on it. Because Paul is saying that is what is going to get you through when nothing else will. Pray always for all the saints, all kinds of prayers, never giving up. See, God has a plan. And it's for the body to come together and lift each other. Now, now that word all there, that doesn't mean just the people you like or just the people you're friendly with. It means all. So I'm going to close this morning with this. I'm going to give you homework. And I know we don't like homework. We like preachers just to tie it up in a nice little bow and give you a poem and let you walk out our funny story. I'm going to give you homework this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand. And I'm going to ask that you would ask the Holy Spirit to put somebody in the body of Christ on your heart. See, it'd be easy for me to say, we're going to pray for each other this week, because you would say, I'll pray for this person, I'll pray for that. I know him over there, I'll pray for him. That's not what I want you to do. Just ask the Holy Spirit in just a moment when I pray. Holy Spirit, put somebody on my heart that I'm supposed to pray for this week. You may not even know them. It may just be a face. You look around and you've seen their face, and that may be all you have. But you commit yourself to saying, every day, Every time the Holy Spirit puts them on my heart, puts them on my mind, they come to my eyes or my thoughts, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to stop and pray for them. Specific if I know something and as much as I can, because I want us to walk out of here not just encouraged that we have weapons. I want us to walk out of here empowered by God to know that whatever we face, people are praying. So in just a moment, we're going to stand, and before we sing, I'm just going to have you take a moment to, to follow with that prayer, and then I'm just going to, it'll be awkward, I'm just going to have you look around. If you're a prayer warrior, maybe God will put two or three. But don't commit to praying for somebody unless you're willing to do it. Try it for a week, because here's what's going to happen. You knowing that you have people praying for you will change your week. There's going to come something this week that God's going to call your attention. The Holy Spirit's going to say, you can do this. Somebody's praying for you. And you praying for somebody else, you know what it does? It takes your eyes off all the problems that you have and puts your heart into them. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's stand before we close. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father, we just ask right now that you would put somebody on our heart, that you would, Father, just convict us of somebody right now that we need to pray for this week. Father, we may not know them, we may not know anything about them, but we know their face, and, and God, you are tell, will tell us clearly and loudly, I'm supposed to pray for him, I'm supposed to pray for her. And God, if you put somebody on our heart, I want you to convict us this week that we need to be about prayer. Because God, I believe somebody in this room this week is going to face that day of evil. It's going to come in like a flood. It's going to come in unexpected. It's going to come in in the least place that they ever thought to look. But God, it's going to be overwhelming for them. And God, I pray that they know in that moment that they are being prayed for by the body of Christ. Father, let us be obedient to your call. Let us be about praying. Forgive us when we fail praying. In your name we pray. Amen. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to look, but I want you to hear me. I hear so many Christians that say, prayer is so awkward, Pastor. I just don't know what to say. I just don't know how to pray. It's just like when you started a relationship with your spouse. That first date wasn't easy. You probably were scared what you were going to say, scared what you were going to do. But now it's second nature. Why? Because you've gotten to know them. Prayer is the same way. 
The more you get to know the Father, the easier it is to pray because you're just sharing your heart. The only way you can practice prayer is by praying. So I'm going to ask you to just look around just for a second. It's weird, I know. Look around. God's going to tell you where to stop. You may already have somebody. But God's going to tell you that's the person you're supposed to pray for. This week, you pray specifically for them. You commit that that person, and maybe two people or three people, you may not even know their name. You may have to go ask somebody, listen, do you know their name? Just so you can, and write it down. I don't want you to forget it. Write it down. I'm praying for the blonde-haired guy on the second row I saw in church. So I don't know what to pray. Pray victory in their life. Go back over this and look at what he says to pray. Pray for truth. Pray for righteousness. Pray for salvation. Pray for faith. Pray for the Word of God to be powerful in their life this week. But pray. Let's worship.